Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. Today, we're going to be talking all about computer science education. We have a huge panel of educators that are experts in the field of computer science, STEM education, programming, and we have a great store in a great show in store for you today. Of course, we want to remind you guys that we have some great programming coming up each and every week on the TeacherCast Educational Network. This week's saw the launching of a brand new podcasting series called Ed Tech in the Classroom. We had two great recordings that we actually did today and we put it out. One of them features our friends at We Video. So if you're interested in video editing, check out our brand new link, Ed Tech in the Classroom. You can, of course, find all the stuff over at edtechintheclassroom.com. Today we're going to be bringing on our panel. I want to introduce somebody who was recently a member of our MIE Spotlight Series podcast. He is the brand new author of a fantastic book called Imagining Computer Science Education K-12 from South Carolina, Mr. Doug Berman. Doug, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hello, world. I am doing outstanding. Great to be here. It's going to be a fun, uh, fun show. Thank you so much for joining us, Doug. Tell everybody about yourself. Yeah, so uh, Doug Bergman, head of computer science at Porter Gowd School, private school, K through 12, about 1,000 students in Charleston, South Carolina. Been there for about 18 years, doing some pretty cool stuff. Nice. And uh, you have a, a, a book that's uh, going to be hitting I the do. market soon. Talk I, to us a little bit about it. It'll be coming out this week. So, yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's mainly for, I think, one of the big reasons why the world doesn't really know what to do with computer science. You know, does it fit? Is it, does it, you know, can it fit? Should it fit? Where does it fit? Because um, I don't think people understand it. And so um, the, the, the first part of the book just hits that head on and says, that, you know, and it talks about it defines it. It explains it, it. It describes it in a variety of different ways, gives some examples in the real world, what it looks like. And then um, for the people that sort of get that part and they, they're like, OK, I get that. And how do I take that and then bring that into the classroom? We take a big survey of, of, of how that looks like. The technology is involved. Um, a lot of the questions that people need to ask to get that thing off the ground. And uh, as well as a teacher that maybe has a classroom experience in computer science that isn't as dynamic as they were looking for it to be, they can get some tremendous resources in the book as well. Well, thank you guys for uh, coming on to the show tonight, Doug, and sharing this with us. We'll, of course, uh, be learning more about this as the show goes on. I want to bring on another guest new to the program uh, from the great Garden State of New Jersey, Mr. Richard Allen. Richard, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I'm glad that you're here today. You and I recently met at an ed camp, and you had told me that you have a passion, just like mine, for sharing on uh, podcasting and television medium. Tell us a little bit about the projects you're working on these days. Sure, sure. I, I, I retired as a, as a high school administrator after 35 years, um, mainly because Disrupt Ed TV got so busy. We, uh, um, my, my thought was that uh, there's so many great teachers in this country, actually so many great teachers around the world. Uh, and I thought it was about time that we took the silos off of these great teachers and present them to the world. So, and, and, and in the process, present uh, professional development like you do with your podcast. And you know that there's some, some really gifted teachers out there, but you could be teaching next to the best teacher in the world. But once they close the door, you don't know what they're doing. And here with Disrupt Ed TV, you get a chance to uh, to see what the best and brightest leaders and teachers are doing, uh, and hopefully making their best practice your next practice. Your next practice. Well, let's talk a little bit about working with some of the best teachers in the world. I want to mention uh, we have a great co-host coming on today from California. Waka Patui is here. Waka, how are you today? 
Oh, I didn't think you'd see I was on the show today, Jeff. He wasn't letting me near the camera. Oh, how are you great. today, Walker? Oh, I'm good. He's had me locked up in a bag. He tried to replace me. He tried to give me a new skin. He's got this Waka 2.0. He's strutting around, but it's uh, not true. I'm here. I'm uglier than ever because we're all getting older. Yay. Now, Walker, you were here with Sam, who recently published a book on computer science. Sam, talk to us a little bit about your, uh, your, your, your recent publication about programming in the primary grades. Well, I've got a book called Programming in the Primary Grades Beyond the Hour of Code. That's really uh, the, the mission of that book is to help teachers kind of jump into coding in ways that are actually appropriate for the, their curriculum. And I spend a lot of time in the book giving examples and applications for using coding to increase the cognitive complexity of a task and to use it strategically in spiraling skills. So if you're learning something, you know, without code, learning it again with code or applying that with code can be really helpful. And uh, that's kind of our whole mission on beyondthehourofcode.com. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. We have two more co-hosts on the show. I want to bring on Mr. Rob Pennington. Rob, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about you, Jeff? I'm doing well. Looking forward to it. Are you on spring break this week? Next week. Next week. Ah, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you are an administrator up there. Are you doing a lot of things with coding in your students? Uh, we have been infusing more and more coding in our library learning commons. That's kind of been the place where this before this year we had pockets of the hour of code. And now that we have brought in a somewhat new into the learning commons, we have seen more of, you know, this intro to coding, this intro into not just digital coding, but also the like the, the physical human pieces of it. And I think that Sam talks a lot about it um, in his book, that whole getting students to think before you go to the digital piece. Very, very nice. And Jennifer Judkins, how are you today? How's everything up in Massachusetts? Great job. Good to be here with you guys tonight. Thank you so much. Now, you are, were a tech coach, and I know you did a lot of stuff with computer science. Talk to us a little bit about what you're doing in your current position um, in terms of coding, programming, and supporting teachers. Yeah, so I am a director of technology now and lead a team of instructional technology specialists, and we have been uh, working together to develop their base knowledge around computer science and also to try to bring coding activities into, in particular, the elementary classroom, because I find that if we can get kids started then, we're, we're developing customers for future years, and they're just so eager and, and really in a place where they're, um, they're not seeing any limitation for themselves, and that's really where we want to get them to gain their confidence. I love that idea of not having limitations on your students. I love the idea that you can teach your kids to do anything that we need to, which really brings us into our first topping or talking point here, which is why? Why is it that not every student these days has access to computer science education? Isn't this something that we should just be demanding all of our students doing in their in you know, at least somewhere in K-12 should have some kind of CS component? I think uh, I mentioned it before. I think part of the problem is that I think there's so much miscommunication, lack of information, um, lack of understanding or understanding based on some 
something you were told that was incorrect or based on an old definition or whatever. I don't think people know what computer science is. I mean, you might have someone say, oh, I took a Microsoft Word class in seventh grade. I know computer science or God forbid I took a typing class. Right. And that was I was told that was computer science. And I think there's still um, I think it's less and less and less. I, I think the wave of computer science that's, that's around us right now is starting to sort of finally address that. But uh, I think it's been a vocabulary issue for, for at least for some people in some schools in some areas. You know, um, we we uh, we're, we we still teach in, in an old model where we teach in isolation. So we teach English in English classes. We teach math in math classes. We teach science, science so that computer science becomes its 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 own subject matter. And why not take computer science and integrate it into everything that we're doing? So instead of creating more courses <clears throat> and then making it an elective because there's only so many teachers and so many. Uh, and, and so much time in a day to do it. Why not incorporate computer science into every class? I mean, that's the way the world's going anyway. Uh, so, so why not? Where we did, we used to do writing across the curriculum and reading across the curriculum, talking across the curriculum, speech across the curriculum, math across the curriculum. Why not computer science across the curriculum? And I think uh, you know, Doug pointed out the you know the vocabulary issue. I think, and and just more to that point, I, I I like to really use the term computational thinking more so than computer science, because I think when people hear computer science, they think of software engineers and people that are that are coding in a script kind of language that's text based, and people find that really intimidating. And yet, uh, and also kind of feel like, well, why would a kid really need to know that? And instead, when we talk more about computational thinking and those skills that actually support, uh, you know, the sequencing, for example, that's essential in the writing process and the problem solving that's essential in the science investigation, you know, those kinds of things, then teachers see it more in uh, as applicable in their general curriculum as opposed to this new and additional thing. Yeah, and I think that that word additional is really big because not only is, and I'm coming at this from someone who used to teach poetry, right? So poetry was very much like this. If you would ask someone to teach poetry across the curriculum because it applies to all parts of life, because it does. Right. And if you have eight hours, I can make you believe that or cry trying. But um, the same thing is true here with computer science. You say that people know enough about it to be intimidated by it and or not like it and or be interested in order of likelihood there, right? And what you can do to get other teachers to say, yes, I want to spend my time in class teaching my kids computer science in addition to these other things is those teachers have to have some sort of experience where they understand what contextualized computer science looks like and how it's useful to their educational goals, right? Because I heard, Jen, you mentioned uh, sequencing, and I work with littles. And sequencing is big money in the world of coding for us because I can use different coding activities with my pre-readers, and we are learning about sequencing. And it doesn't have to be an incredibly complicated computer science Thing to to be to fit in with there and that's the nice thing about like age-appropriate computer science for pre-k through two it's it's a lot of logic it's a lot of doing things it's a lot of moving around it's a lot of giving directions and most of the teachers i've introduced that to are like oh i do exactly that with this so we could just expand it this way they have a lot of flexibility with that i'm wondering if anybody has a good example from like a slightly older age group you know fourth grade on up 
what what is what is a computer science concept that's kind of a nice uh, transfer process where a teacher who is say computer science is not confident would be will would see the relevance of that and be like oh yeah that's something we do all the time. You know, Sam. One of the things I would tell my teachers when they came and asked me if they could uh, implement an initiative, I would always say, "What's the so what of it?" And I guess with computer science, I asked the same questions: "What's the so?" So you want to teach computer science, and maybe maybe the term and the terminology we use uh, scares people. So what if, what if we said computer science for? <clears throat> we're doing consu- cons- uh, computer science for. If we knew what the product was at the end. So why am I doing it rather than I'm doing computer science? I'm doing co- computer science for the so what question would be I do it for this or I do it for that. Then it's less intimidating that you know there's a product at the end. You're not just looking at screens and coding just for coding's sake, but you're doing it for something. The so what is I do it so that I can X, Y, and Z. Well, so that there's, there's some other tough questions to ask, and, and I'll be the devil's advocate here and say, you know, I, I think, the, the, you know, the problem with going to a teacher and saying, hey, do you mind above, you know, the, the 37 things you need to do in your classroom, math, science, history, whatever, I need you to do these other computer science things. So it's going to be hard to get someone else to take our, in the same sense that if a history teacher came to me and said, hey, do you mind doing this, a bunch of history stuff in your computer science class for me? I would be like, well, gosh, I'm, I'm swamped with my own stuff right here. Maybe I can make a pro or something like that. So I think that's a it's a tough to do. Maybe there's a different question to ask. So the core subjects, you know, the science, the history, the math, the English. Okay. Um, I think it, it, if there was, if there was ever a time to say, Hey world, there's another core subject. Okay. And it's not going away. It's not a trend. It is here. It is a core subject. I mean, it is a digital age. I can't think of a single industry that, that isn't resting on the backbone of computer science and technology at some point. Well, okay. as we, but I mean, so as we, have- we look at this here, and and you know, Doug, we were talking about this earlier. How do you create a computer science curriculum right. that isn't a computer science curriculum? Right. When we're talking, right. Sam's working with littles. When we're yeah. looking at, you know, most of us are working with the middle, upper school. Yeah. Computer science should not just be part of an activity that maybe you find in seventh right. grade or, right. you know, Sam and I always ask the question, do we still need the hour of code? Yeah. How do we create a K to 12 learning experience where you just build these skills? It's kind of part of that thing ISTE likes to promote, right? Yeah. So well, it, I think it takes administrators. I think like you guys are talking about, it takes an administrator or a school or a set of parents to, to, in some way, just decide we're going to do this. We are going to make this a prize, not an after school club. It's not something we do at break. It's not something we do here and there. Those are great opportunities to do some small things on the side. Good. Sam, go ahead. We're not without models, right? Other countries have computer science curriculum. They have mandated computer science curriculum. Yeah. You know, and and because of that, we have the Raspberry Pi. Because of that, we have the BBC Microbit. Yeah. Right. You can actually point to physical things in the world that exist because of the UK's requirement for coding that, you know, I enjoy in my work every day because what they've done is they've required it. They've set a national standard and they've set about listen to this one. They've set about supporting it. Yeah. Right. They had multiple huge initiatives to get 
coding to get you know python curriculum ready for kindergartners seriously go to the raspberrypi.org website and you will find python lessons for kindergarten students you know sam one of what you're talking about is really being disruptive to the status quo you know we we still teach biology then chemistry and then physics and most people don't know that the reason why it's at that order biology chemistry and physics is alphabetical order that's it but in the physics first model you know it's it's not alphabetical order but that's really how that started you know there's a there's an expression and i forget who says it i, I want to say it's mark twain but it's probably not but it would be a good guess since sacred cows are make good hamburger <clears throat> because it's time to get rid of the sacred cows and start re, uh, breaking up the uh, status quo and doing something a little different you know a lot of schools uh, will hire a literacy coach or a math coach. And, and my suggestion is this, that we hire data coaches and computer science coaches, the teachers that go into the different classrooms. Like you said, I think it was Doug said, it's, it's everywhere. You're not going, it's not going away. It, it's the way of life. So why not? Every, every teacher should be a literacy teacher. Every teacher should be doing math across the curriculum and then have the computer science teachers and the data instructors walking through the building, walking, instructing the teachers, teaching the teachers, modeling lessons uh, and getting uh, and, and getting every student and every teacher to become uh, to, to master uh, computer science. Yeah. One question I wonder is like right now what we're doing is we're attacking this problem as if all teachers are code averse, all teachers are baffled by code, and those that aren't are actively coding every day. But I actually know a bunch of teachers who work in charter school situations, and they all they talk to me about is how hard it is to deal with all of the data they are expected to manage, all of the data they expected to apply, all of the data they are expected to get meaningful results out of and then act on. Um, this seems like a very rich opportunity for coding, as what it does is data, some of the most prevalent coding that we don't talk about is the coding attached to data. This is the coding that makes it into every job these days, is the data management back end of it. Um, when are we going to see more coding tools that help teachers be successful, that aren't about teaching kids computer science, they're about allowing you to identify which student needs an intervention in literacy today. Because if you can get teachers to have those skills and make them useful in their world, their students will be doing it tomorrow. You will not have to convince them of anything. So, you know, Sam, there's a, uh, we interviewed at Disrupt Ed TV a, a teacher by the name of Sky Donzelli, and uh, she wrote a, she wrote a, a book um, called. Um, Selfie Sam Coding, I believe that's the title of it. She does some amazing work. She teaches coding, rocketry, and robotics to sixth graders. Like not a big deal, right, that happens. These are students with Down syndrome and cognitively impaired, but she found a way to do it. And, uh, you know, and, and, the, and the point is this, if, if she can do it with her students, it can be done. It shouldn't be something that we're afraid of anymore. We've got to take, take that scariness out of it. Um, and, uh, and, and get it into all the classrooms. Everybody should be doing it. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not for the elite. It's not for the best and the brightest. And it, and it can't be an elective anymore. Yeah. 
Talking today about computer science education, we have a great panel on. Of course, you can find out more information over on techeducatorpodcast.com. Now, Jen, I want to bring up some of the things that you're doing because you are, correct me here, overseeing technology, which I'm assuming means you're overseeing a budget. Um, oftentimes when people look at computer science and they think robotics, they have dollar signs flash. Is computer science education something that should be looked at in terms of dollars and cents or something different? I think to some extent it depends on, on your the grade level that you're targeting. For example, if you're really trying to push computer science education at the high school level, then you're really talking about a certified teaching position. And, and that is certainly something that, um, you know, at the high school level, you're, you're really looking for people with that level of specialty to meet the, the level that the students may be at, um, as opposed to just sort of incorporating it into the general ed curriculum at that point. But at the lower grade levels, at the K-8 to level, I, I really think that we've really um, seen a, a, an amazing emergence of tools and resources that are completely free. So, for example, we just um, had a teacher apply and be accepted to a code.org summer program um, to take a free on-site PD training um, to and, and then also be given access to code.org's completely free entire curriculum to cover, um, you know, grade six through eight. And, um, and the cost to us is going to be to buy, you know, some fairly inexpensive, um, you know, microcomputing kind of things. I have to look at the equipment list, but it, you know, we're not talking big dollars, um, so that kids can have some physical computing experience as part of that course. Um, you know, so code.org is a nonprofit. They've really done a lot, for example, not only in promoting uh, through Hour of Code, but they've, they've gone beyond that by providing uh, modules for students that are self-paced and for teachers to actually go through a, a series of lessons with students in the classroom. Um, you know, Scratch, most people are very familiar with MIT's, um, you know, work in the Scratch arena and having that now extended into the, the littles with the Scratch Junior. I think that, you know, just even in the past few years, we've seen just a huge um, amount of support being developed and, and an understanding that, you know, if we want teachers to move forward with this, we have to provide the support. And so I love seeing some of these initiatives. And, and so, no, I don't think it's an expensive thing. I think, you know, we can talk about robotics in a little bit and that, you know, there's some costs there, but you can really get a great foundation with no cost at all, uh, just an investment in time. And, and then as kids sort of start to grow into that, expanding that into the area of physical computing where kids are interacting with robots or, or, or other devices, then, you know, there is some cost to that. But I got to tell you, whenever I've posted a grant for those kind of things, people eat that stuff up. Uh, parents and the like. So it, it's actually pretty easy to get funding for those kinds of things, I find. And I want to especially a little bit on that, Jen. Um, we just had students because we have a couple different Lego robotics teams. They're part, you know, they participate in the first Lego competition. Yep. Um, and we just had students that went through a Shark Tank proposal where they went to and they presented and they were able to get us another robot. I mean, it's a few hundred dollars, but that was completely student generated that they wanted to give back to the school. They're fifth grade students. They've been in um, they've been in the Lego team for a couple of years now. And they went and they presented to, you know, 
funders and they were able to get another robot for the school. Um, One of the things that I heard Doug talk about and Sam talk about a little bit was how can we, because this is a before school program, um, an enrichment program, how can we get that to be infused during the school day so that more kids have the opportunity to be exposed to that? I think that's really an important, um, you know, an important goal. Well, let's let me ask two questions here. I'm going to ask one to Sam and then I'll ask one to Doug because I know this is where you guys specialize. But when it comes to actually getting resources, um, Sam, primary grades, right? Like, are we talking Mm -hmm. expensive things? Are we talking not expensive things? I know you deal mostly with robotics, um, but it is. I mean, the good news is you can spend as much money as you want. If you want it to be an expensive program, there are vendors out there that will take your money. (laughs) Um, They will probably deliver you some wonderful shiny toys with it too. But if you're looking for kind of high impact, low cost, there are so many options. And step one is really playing around and seeing what's useful at your site. I have found that if you get these devices and tools into the kids' hands in a way that's authentic, pretty soon they're stopping by and saying, hey, I want to use that programming tool for this thing I'm doing in uh, science class. And you give them the programming tool and they take it to science class. And all the other kids are like, oh, dang, man, I could have thought of that. And, you know, you've got the teacher going, oh, wow, next time I do this, that's going to be one of the options. Right. So you see that and that the energy feeds out. Right. The energy feeds out. And also the the it's easier to get the materials because I'm not necessarily trying to put all of those things on my budget, some of them end up coming in under the general budget now because we need a handful of them to be able to lend out to the classes, right? And when we're not lending them out to the classes, okay, I'm putting them to good use. But at the same time, like developing it so that it's really easy for good ideas to go viral within your own school, I think is really important for sustainability because it also, on a very pragmatic level, complicates the budget line you don't want to be one editable item where it's just like oh we could save blank number of dollars just by getting rid of this program no this program feeds all of these other programs and this item line item is actually leveling up our learning experience in english it's leveling up the math classes it's leveling up the science whatever is appropriate to you so part of it is yeah just buy what you need when you need it, don't plan ahead for a lot of stuff because hardware changes, needs change, and be willing to share that fun kind of liberally. Don't get, you know, buy the low-cost devices and then don't get freaked out if they get crushed, right? Uh, Doug, you know, what do you think? A, yeah, well, a couple, I was going to jump on that. You know, like the, the Jen was talking about the code.org curriculum, which, and they, they've got something for like every single grade level. What's yeah. awesome about that, it, like she said, 100% free, um, and you know, and because they're getting funded by major corporations who are banging down their door to give them money, it's a great opportunity. But you know, they've got an entire classroom management system that prog- that tracks the progress of all the students. And so, for a teacher, it is it's it's about as easy as it can get. And the energy is there. Sam talked about that. You you put this 
thing, whatever the thing is in the hands of the kids, and they get so excited. And, the, and if the teacher isn't as comfortable even doing it, the kids don't mind that. They'll figure it out. Um, and so in the, at the middle school, high school level, yeah, you, if you have robotics, uh, yeah, you, would, you might want to have some robots there for them to interact with. If you're going to do app development, you might, you might want to have some tablets for them to actually upload to or some smartphones. But if you don't, that's fine because there are emulators that are free of charge that are in all the app development kits. There are online robotic things which have artificial robots. In fact, some of the robots you can buy come with the artificial version of that online. So computer science is probably one of the cheapest disciplines of any discipline because 90% of this stuff is free. Yes, there are some fantastic products. There are some fantastic software. There's some websites. There's curriculum you can buy that have a lot of stuff pre-done for you. But for the person that's kind of just putting stuff together, which, you know, on a shoestring or, or not, not even on a shoestring, just on a, on a tight budget, um, there is so many resources they can go to. In, in my book, I literally had to, like, cut off listing the resources. You know, like, oh, here's a free one. Here's a free one. Here's a free one. Here's how they're the same. Here's how they're different. And those can be starting points. And Jen mentioned. I mean, good grief. If when I need money, I, I can usually get it pretty quickly from someone somehow somewhere who is eager to give money. And, um, and I'm, we're in private school, so it's a little bit different scenario. But um, I but, you know, there are teachers all over the place who 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 around the country who are doing great things and they have they found money to do it. But they've also found that it doesn't take as much money as, you know, spending one hundred and twenty five dollars per textbook for for a, a series of science textbooks. Well, Doug, you, you know, I have a good point. Got, with all, go ahead. I've got one idea that'll save any teacher a bunch of money. Puppets? And close. <laughs> it's it's that the class set is a fiction. Amen, right? brother. Yes. Well, yes. what you need is a multitude of devices, a multitude of access points, and you don't need one per student of anything. As soon as you give every student their own one of these, everything slows down. I'm gonna I'm gonna mute Sam for a second there. Um, now, uh, Richard, let me bring you in. What happened cause, there? Yeah, because D- Doug and and you and Sam, I think, yeah, the three of you guys all have something in common, which is you are not uh, public school background. So let me ask you this one, Richard: Is it easier to walk into a charter school, a private school, that kind of a situation, as an administrator, and say we are going to create a district wide, if you will? Uh, computer science curriculum or we're going to implement something district-wide is it easier in a public charter private school than it is in a public school i I think i said that wrong but you know what i'm saying you know that's a great question i I think it really is um the um the the mission and vision of the of the stakeholders if uh and and the people in charge the decision makers you know some charter schools might say no but other public and public schools may say absolutely yes but only because the people in charge the decision makers are the ones that see it as as something that should be done or don't see it as i i I know some some schools where they spend their extracurricular money on uh, computer science after school they're not not to put it in the uh, during the day, but actually do it after school, and they're taking their extracurricular activity money uh, to to fund the program. So it it all depends on the vision of the leadership. Um, the 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 open-minded, the visionary leaders uh, will see will will stop at nothing to make sure that uh, uh, the computer science is implemented in a school day, whether it's during a school day or after school. So I don't know if it matters the setting; it matters the leadership. The, and the one thing I want to talk about that, the, the danger of when, when you make something extracurricular, 
what you're really saying is not really important because if it was, it would be intercurricular, right? But here's this extra thing you can do. And so it's, it, I, I appreciate the school that is at least trying something. Hey, look, the best we got is after school. Great. At least they're making some things. But when, you know, when, when the, the kids take an elective course in the middle school, when they take maybe art and PE and technology or computer or whatever, um, sometimes the parents and the students interpret that as, well, it's not really important. Otherwise, it would be a real class meeting every single day all semester long. And so that's a danger we have to, to fight. Um, now, it may be all we can get in, like in our school in the fifth and sixth grade. We don't get them every day, and we get them for a shortened period of time. But at least we got them for something. And by the time we do get them into the high school where I do have a required class and then an elective class, they fill up immediately. I mean, I don't have enough teachers to, to – <laughs> To, to fill my, I mean, I had too many students, too many classes. What a wonderful problem to have. Unfortunately, when you put out a, a call for resumes, there's no one responding because there's not enough computer science teachers out there who can teach the advanced levels. Yeah, but Doug, Doug if I, you know, with all due respect, if you take somebody like uh, Glenn Robbins, uh, the superintendent down in uh, Tabernacle School District down South Jersey with Barry, uh, Rob, you know Barry. Um, I, know Glenn is, I, know, I know Glenn as well. Glenn, yeah, great, yeah. They would, they Hi, would. Glenn. Yeah, they would argue. <laughs> they would. They would argue that uh, that extracurricular, co-curricular, or during a school, um, they can. They'll get by, and it's it's all how you sell it. Um, I mean, if you sell, and, and maybe when I said extracurricular, maybe you should, I should have said co-curricular, but it really doesn't matter. It's it's not the name. It's the importance you attach to it. Um, it's uh, it's your uh, is your commitment and ownership to that program. If you make it important, the parents will make it important. If that you make it important, the, the students will make it important. If it, if it's, you just throw it out there and you never go visit it, um, you know that which is that which is expected is inspected. And as a as a building principal, I was everywhere because everything was important. Um, and if our school play, if we had a Thursday, Friday, and two on Saturday for school plays. I was every one of them because it was important. When I attached value to it, the students and the parents attached value to it. And that's what we have to do is once you make a commitment, you have to be there. You have to be present. Um, and if it means uh, I was out six or seven nights a week, I was out six and seven nights a week because I attached value to everything that we did. And that's what we have to do with computer science. Attach the value to it and then live it. I love that philosophy, man. Thank we, of course, you. want to know what you guys think about computer science. You can reach out to us over here on TeacherCast and uh, email us over at feedback at teachercast.net. Guys, as we look to, uh, to close our show tonight, I want to talk about where to find resources. Um, and maybe we can do a round robin here. Like, where do we find these resources? Are there places to go? Um, you can't say go Amazon. to the bookstore. Well, you, you can't say places that don't have purchase orders, right? Like you know, in in many school districts across New Jersey, your local bookstore accepts purchase orders. They have agreements worked out with your school library already. Check with your school librarian if you're not sure which ones. <laughs> okay, that brought to you by <laughs> programming in the primary grades beyond the hour of code. <laughs> Yes, available on Amazon at beyondthehourofcode.com. And the bookstore near you where your librarian shops. So, so Jeff, let me, let me, I'm going to touch a little bit from the high school and middle school. High school is my expertise area, but I mean, there are, um, you know, like in, in my book, I, I wanted to offer some free options and there are everything from free curriculum to just free books. I mean, there's a lady at Georgia Tech, Barbara Erickson, who has developed an entire Java book with everything you would need for advanced computing free of charge. 
charge anyone who wants it. There are um, websites set up, you know, the, the, the Code Academy, the Udemy's, and those type of sites with 100% free. You could actually have your students go through that if the teacher didn't know enough to build a curriculum or if the teacher just wanted her or himself to learn on their own. There are so many places just for the person who's willing to just say, hey, I'm in, and I'll spend the time on this one. It's more of that than it is money. Yeah. Jeff, I can answer that question. Um, I would say this. How about, how about ask the students what they want to do? Uh, how about start with student choice and student voice, and then determine from there what you have to purchase? Oftentimes, we buy curriculum, and then we're stuck with the price, and we're stuck with the product, and say, now you got to use it. And it might not be of interest to the students. So, you know, when, when they come to your class and say, well, what – you know, I, I never ask a student, uh, you know, what they want to be when they grow up. I mean, think about that question and how it evolved from probably Cowboys and Indians all the way up to, you know, Major League Baseball player. But what, how about the question we ask is, what great problem do you want to solve? And then from there, uh, think think about how you can build a curriculum around their great problem they want to solve. How about instead of buying something first, ask the students, what is it that you want to, what do you accomplish? What do you want to solve? What great problem do you want to tackle? And then build around it so that you're right. Like Sam said, don't buy one computer for everybody or buy one for everybody. Buy what you need um, and uh, buy, buy what you need and then build the curriculum around the students' interests, needs, wants, and, uh, and, and, and great problem they want to solve. And, and when doing that, that's something that's going to evolve and change really over the course of time because every year you're going to have different students. Right. And I think that that's also from a practitioner's point of view keeps that process fresh and new and it's not like I'm doing the same thing over and over again. It's every year you're kind of morphing what you're doing with your kids based on your kids. It keeps your student, keeps your teachers sharp, doesn't it? Absolutely. We, we, we took a when our program started, we took, and I think this is true for many teachers who have done this. But you know, we we our, our program has grown five or six times it, it, from its initial size over the course of years. What we uh, what Richard described is exactly what project-based computer science is called. We do not have a textbook. Some of the best computer science teachers in the country at every level aren't using a textbook to lead that class. They're not even using necessarily a curriculum. They're letting the projects that Richard described right there. And you can have an umbrella under which the projects fall. When we do our app development section in the ninth grade, the kids, after they learn the basic skills, they have to create an app that actually addresses people with physical, uh, mental, emotional learning disabilities. So they're actually creating a real app that they can actually contribute to something like that. And what's amazing is when you ask kids what they want to do um, under a certain um, topic arena, they have, A, they have a lot of things to say. I don't care what age they are. They, they're not given that many opportunities to say these things. And you give them a bunch of tools called computer science, which lets them express themselves in a variety of ways. And when they buy into it, like Richard talked about, they put all kinds of effort and energy and passion into that. And they have another set of tools, just like when you write an essay or like Sam talked, they write a poem. Well, they can make an app. They can write a program. Now, wait, 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 Doug. You yeah. don't want to back up your computer. No, you weren't paying attention at the beginning of the show. You can't <laughs> back up your computer science logic by saying it works for English, too. Everybody said no when we said we wanted to teach English across the curriculum. They said, we don't know how to do that. And I spent the first 12 years of my life doing professional development with teachers trying to convince them that if they taught a little bit of writing simply by reading the writing they were asking their students to do and doing it thoughtfully, the whole world would change. So I hope that we can do better than that with CS, but we'll have to find out next time 
on the Tech Educator Podcast. Guys, this has certainly been a great topic for everybody. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to have you guys uh, share where we can find more information about what's you're going on in your what's going on in your neck of the woods. Uh, Rob, where can we find you? Rob Pennington Nine on Twitter, or you can find me at Rob Pennington Nine at Weebly.com. Jennifer. I am at teachingforward.net on the web for my blog, and my Twitter handle is the same, teachingforward. Samuel. Bypaperlessclassroom.com. Waka. Bypaperlessclassroom.com. And uh, Doug, talk to us one more time. Where can we find the book? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, so so uh, it should be up probably within a week or 10 days or so. It should be up on Amazon for, um, for sale. I will certainly... Um, be sending out some information about that one, as well as I have a blog, uh, InnovativeTeacher.org, which anyone can get a hold of me through a variety of ways, starting there. And uh, Richard, where can we find you? You can follow me at DisruptEdTV uh, and, and also at uh, Rigor underscore Relevance. Very, very nice. Guys, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. A great conversation, as always, about computer science. If you're interested more about this topic, you can go over to teachercast.net slash S-T-E-M. That's teachercast.net slash STEM. And find hundreds of podcasts, resources, blog posts, you name it. And, of course, you can check out the fantastic podcast, Beyond the Hour of Code, by our good friend, Sam Patterson. On behalf of everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.